0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This episode is brought to you by Nourish and Flourish, a handcrafted, independent publication taking readers on a journey from the soil to the stars. Subscribe today at nourishandflourish.site.
2: This week on Meet and 3, we're examining the true cost of convenience when it comes to when, where, and how we eat.
1: Dark stores enable workers to eat without any kind of thought to how they're getting their food or how it might have come
2: to be. DoorDash, Uber, and Lyft in the past have pledged to spend $90 million to try to exempt themselves from the law.
1: I could be wrong, uh, but I... I think there's going to be significant regulatory pushback on driverless trucks.
2: Tune in to Meet in Three, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you listen to podcasts.
3: I'm Luke Griffin, and you're listening to Bushwick Podcast local stories for a strong community. Each episode, we take you behind the scenes of the artists, activists, and entrepreneurs whose journeys collide in Bushwick, a special Brooklyn neighborhood that's changing faster by the day. A moment ago, you heard a message from an organization called Heritage Radio Network, or HRN. Even if that name is new for you, the organization is anything but. HRN has spent the past decade here in the neighborhood making shows like Bushwick Podcast possible, building one of the world's most unique audio archives from a secret recording studio tucked inside a storage container within Roberta's Pizza. So this week, we sat down with two of the leaders behind HRN to learn more about their work and their mission to give important new voices a platform to reach listeners around the world. It's Thursday, October 10th, and this episode is called Improving the World Through the Lens of Food. If you could please just introduce yourselves and share your role with respect to Heritage Radio Network.
4: Well, thanks for having me. I am Patrick Martins. I am one of the founders of Heritage Radio Network. A team of us, you know, started this station many years ago. And I have a business in Bushwick uh, right around the corner, and it's called Heritage Foods, which is pretty much the country's largest distributor of rare and heritage breed pasture raised meats.
2: And I'm Katie Mosman-Wadler. I am currently executive director of HRN. Um, I've been involved for about almost four years. Um, And Patrick gave a very humble introduction to himself, but none of us would be here without him.
4: I also came up, this can get edited out, with the
2: (laughs) why I'm so happy
4: to be here, because Bushwick podcast, we were saying Bushwick is gender neutral. (laughs) <laughs> so I, I really like coming here. I think you guys are very progressive to name your station that. That's why I moved to this neighborhood for my work. It's very progressive. No, it makes no one feel uncomfortable.
3: Well, thank you for joining. <laughs> uh, just to take it from the very top, for somebody who's maybe totally unfamiliar with Heritage Radio Network, maybe they, they hear it uh, in the lead-in to our show, how would you explain what the network is and what it's about?
2: Okay, Patrick's pointing at me. Um, So Heritage Radio Network is a, the the word network is in the name, right? So we're a group of shows, radio shows, which we also share as podcasts, that all have a common mission of improving the world through the lens of food. So we achieve that in a lot of different ways, and we talk about issues of agriculture and the environment and policy and also food and culture and also kind of the role of beverages in this larger food system and the role of chefs and restaurants and farmers. And so through all of these different angles, we're all kind of looking at how to solve these global issues. Um, You know, food is the one thing that every human being has in common. And it is also probably the one issue that's going to determine the fate of the planet and the human race. So pretty important topic, and uh, we all come together to produce this internet radio station um, and make all of the content available for free through podcasts.
4: Uh, You know, for me, you know, what drove a little bit this uh, project, the way it drives so many of my projects is the word failure in this case, the failure of modern media. You know, there were all these people I had met through my days working at Slow Food, and I would meet, like, for instance, Nancy Newsom, the ham lady in Kentucky, and be like, oh my god, I, they should write about you. Where, why isn't anyone here? And then uh, she's like, oh, they did. Uh, 31 years ago, they came and they wrote about my father, you know, and I'm like, oh my god, and the next time the whole country is going to hear about you is in your obituary. That's not how it should be. And then when they would say, what well, can we write about her in the obit, they would have to go to 31 years ago that one time she was on and it wasn't right and there were all these people in all these different fields so it was a failure of the media to capture the these personalities that were getting older Uh, you know the Julia Child contemporaries and they didn't have the luxury that she did of being covered so much and then the failure of the media to not cover interesting issues around gastronomy like uh, i've never seen a food section really talk about the role of the environment and food and global warming's effect on food commodity pricing slaughterhouses letters by farmers commodities ins and outs and the real things that affect agriculture and gastronomy in its broadest sense. And so I thought, you know, the dining sections were failing in that. And so if they weren't gonna write about us and I was sick of writing press releases, hoping that someone cross fingers would write about some story we had. So we could just very humbly, with very little money and simple technology, start something here at Roberta's and our power came in numbers and that we have the thirty five weekly shows. So together we were able to make a dent in all that and cover issues in a legitimate way. You know, all boats rise with the high tide kind of group energy.
3: HRN is, of course, a nonprofit as well. And I imagine for most folks, nonprofit, internet, radio, food are ideas that they wouldn't typically associate with one another. What is the origin story of taking that idea of there's a lot that is not being covered in a really compelling way and thinking to do that with a nonprofit Internet radio station and podcasts.
4: Well, at first we wanted to be a for-profit. You know, we wanted to. We were a for-profit. I mean, we didn't have any legacy yet, so they didn't want to give us nonprofit status. But our goal was not to have to rely on, uh, you know, asking for the government and all that. But it, it turns out there's so many funding sources. It just didn't make sense. So, um, also, you know, I think in the eyes of the public, uh, 501c3 status being given the Right, not to pay taxes is such a, a feather in the cap of an organization. It does everything is said right there. Whereas if you're a for profit business, you really have to prove a lot. But I mean, I looked at Vice actually as a model many years later. They never went for profit, you know, and then major corporations purchased them for hundreds of millions of dollars. And I always thought, what if we had gone that route? And, you know, each host was eventually given $10 million, you know, because we partnered with Rupert Murdoch or. Some evil titan like that.
2: Yeah, well, I think there's something to be said for the sense of community that has been generated in being a nonprofit. And, um, you know, I think it was sure it would be great if we were all millionaires, but I think that the message that we're putting out into the world would be different. In that case, I
4: also think Katie, and I've told her this, and her team should become the nonprofit of nonprofits. We're all struggling nonprofits, or nonprofits, or maybe not struggling, but could just use a national, international presence or web of connections. And she just like operates them all from like a tower, <laughs> at the top of a pyramid, you know, that goes 360. And she has all like people tweeting for her in rows and Facebooking for her and all that. I think for
3: a lot of people, the idea of audio or internet radio or podcasts seems kind of modern, but HRN's been around since 2009 and been doing this for a decade.
2: Patrick, when you started your show, it wasn't called a podcast. No. Even though you you had the technology, you were issuing them forth as audio files that you could download onto your iPod or right. your, uh, what was the Microsoft one that you would keep in your pocket. Um, your your Time audio Inclare? player. Yeah. Time <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, what you were doing was creating a food podcast 10 years ago, way before that was a thing. So how did you know to do that?
4: You know, the podcast thing is is a very uh, I, I'm not into the podcast thing. I understand that we don't broadcast on radio waves. We don't. We're not on AM or FM. There's no wave coming through here. If we did do that, we would have been arrested. And Roberta's would have loved for that to happen during the first two years of their existence. They would not have wanted it to happen now, you know, that people come in with the police uh, to to shut down a rogue station. (laughs) So we played by the rules, but we did want a little satellite, even if it was just for Roberta's itself. Uh, You know, we did want to be able to broadcast somehow. But, um, what is unusual about this place is that everybody, or at least 95% of the shows, comes to this spot at a set time each week and does it volunteer 40 weeks, 40, 45 weeks a year. Uh, That is amazing. And that, to me, says radio station. It is broadcast live. And granted, it's not a radio, but it is a device. It's a little machine that's the same size of a radio and can have a a microphone or not a microphone, but an amplifier so you can hear it in the whole That's a radio. That's the only, you know, very -hmm. little difference. So I think that when you say podcast, you imagine edited stuff our stuff our station is mostly live you know that's sent in at a set date from some basement somewhere no this has a lot of the radio presence uh, and so I like to connect us back to the beginning of the technology you know which is the 1880s the 1900s you know where people were communicating with each other about oftentimes very important information like a hurricane was coming or someone's going to try to buy up all your corn don't do it because corn prices are actually going up so say no to that carpetbagger that's coming through your town you know
2: i think it's really interesting kind of going back to the history of radio being so important for farmers and you know so much of the content that we do is really for farmers and inclusive of farmers and actually by being on the internet we're able to be accessible to more farmers because um, as you probably know bushwick is located in new york city Um, where there are some farms, but it is not a huge agricultural destination. (laughs) So by not being FM-based or AM-based, we're able to reach farmers all over the world, wherever they may be, Mm -hmm. regardless of the sort of access to signal, because the world is so connected now. So it's a little bit ironic that we're kind of going back to um, the the history of the significance of radio and the importance of communicating about food systems through radio, Mm -hmm. but um, achieving that in this different way of um, being able to get that signal around the globe very inexpensively Um, and also uh, because we're internet-based we can say whatever we want
4: well i do think that that's why you reject my idea of having a a dj come in every morning at nine but a food dj you know i mean like hey how's it going everybody so let's play a little bit of a bushwick podcast piece from yesterday with this controversial statement that patrick made about bushwick uh, you know, and then we cut to some music and then we could play some shows. But I, I think that it, because we can be heard live, even though it is on a podcast, there is something quite refreshing about someone at home being able to be like, it's 10 a.m. I love this guy. And I just hit him on play while I do my work or my stretching or my exercising. And and it's current. And they talk about news just by default. I mean, mm-hmm. if something comes across the wire, uh, they'll, they'll talk about it. So, but I understand why you reject my idea now.
2: I don't reject it. (laughs) We build together.
3: Something that you both alluded to uh, is where we are right now, which is actually within Roberta's, the pizzeria. (laughs) Could you explain a little bit about that in terms of where we are right now, the significance of that, and how
4: this partnership came about? Well, that's see that's a radio quest that's that to me says a radio station, you know, with Elvis Presley out there and being like, "Hey, can I come in?" and we're like, "Oh my God, is that Jose Andres Call him in and we knock on the glass, and you know that says to me radio and a green room and all that, you know, which is truly what we have. but it just came about as a um you know understanding that if radio was going to be successful and if we were going to get chefs here because it was started in many ways as a way to keep chefs interested in heritage foods and in therefore buying sustainably and thinking about these kind of causes and getting some play you know for their support of these things they were rewarded if you will by able to come in here for an hour and talk all about what started them who their mentors were you know we weren't like you get three minutes kid Get it all in. We're going to ask you one question, which won't even be a very good question. You got to answer it in three minutes and tell everything. You know, it wasn't really right. Uh, So anyway, the Roberta's guys, they were just cool. They loved to build. It was kind of started with a hippie slash army mentality where they treated this energy of craziness. But through army type regimens and and they, you know, even when they opened their bakery, they opened at 6 a.m. Which nobody was around, but they insisted upon it. That was that guy, Chris. You know, he really pushed for that kind of military-style thing. So when we said, can we drop two shipping containers in, he was like... I'm going to uh, build it myself. I'll, I'll, I'll build the thing. I'll build the DJ booth. He saw it as a challenge. He probably also thought we were going to go out of business in a few weeks. And then he would get two shipping containers, you know, for free, especially decked out. This is actually quite nice in here. So it started very organically the way many other things started here, including the Brooklyn Grange, the world's largest rooftop business, you know, was formulated here. There was a bunch of people who made clothing for motorbikers, you know, leather clothes and designer fashions, you know, super good. Their business took off and they uh, put clothes on some of the biggest Hollywood stars, you know, and you can see them. So, yeah, there's a lot that happened here.
3: And Katie, is the steward of this space now, how would you describe it? Where For somebody who has no idea that there's a, a fully equipped recording studio within a pizzeria in Bushwick. What is this space, and and what does it represent for the community that HRN is building here?
2: Yeah, so the the shipping container idea has taken off as this huge fad now, and now you can find anything inside a shipping container, from a swimming pool to a hydroponic farm to a radio station. Um, so it became trendy after the fact, but I think what is represented and what you feel when you walk into this space is, um, you know, you don't need. A ton of resources to make your voice heard to put something on the map and you know people walk in here and you know a lot of people who are coming out to do a radio interview for the first time you know sometimes they're big celebrities and they spend a lot of time in tv and radio studios that are super hermetically sealed and they're very (laughs) sterile and when you walk into our shipping container, it feels a, a, a bit like you're at a cabin in the woods—a very like cozy. Everything is wood paneled, and then we're in—you know—we're sitting here inside of the restaurant dining room, basically. So there's a window. We're kind of sharing an experience with everybody who's eating um, and having pizza outside and looking at us, wondering what we're talking about in here. Um, but it is sort of a model of access and um, kind of egalitarianism, I think, that we have um sort of charge of here that we invite people in and we say like hey we're kind of all on the same playing field here we're in this space of kind of commensality people are eating we're usually eating in here too Mm -hmm. eating and drinking together and so it's a really different experience than walking into a a gray sound tiled booth
3: i would describe the aesthetic as your grandpa's basement (laughs) (laughs) yes also that uh Patrick, you mentioned you have a business in Mm -hmm. Bushwick. How did Bushwick come about as the epicenter of this project that would become Heritage Radio Network?
4: I mean, I think it was in large part because of Roberta's. I mean, most restaurateurs or bars, for that matter, don't allow somebody to drop two shipping containers in and try to start a radio station. There's either not the space or they're worried about uh, building laws within the state or city. Uh, these guys kind of built it first and then tried to fix problems later. You know, that kind of mentality. The space, you know, that was just a guy's garage for many years. You know, he was a car repair garage, you know, and so he'd fix dents and all that. So he didn't really care that, you know, a little bit of his space was being taken. If this was a more densely populated business area, that would have been a clothing store or someone else. who's was like, absolutely, I need every inch of this place. I don't have enough space. This guy almost had too much space. But, you know, and then there was a certain lawlessness of, uh, you know, this area back from the warehouse days. I mean, Boar's Head is still based here. There's still 18-wheeler trucks going now next to people who are doing yoga and all that. It's a really funny cross uh, crossing of the two cultures. But um, no, Bushwick. But the main reason, if you really want to know, is I think because of the L train. Uh, it's so close. It's, it's half a block from the train. And one mustn't uh, underestimate where you are in the city matters so much. And, you know, I see other places that are also fascinating, had the potential to be like this. But it was a 20-minute walk Mm -hmm. from the subway. And this started at a time pre-Uber, you know, in a way. So there was a lot more energy towards uh you know wanting to make it easy i used to come at 10 p.m i would fly in from somewhere i would get in the train six train all the way down then back in the day then transfer to the l i would get here at 11:30, and there'd be 300 people here you know and it was fun
2: <laughs> we had also kind of not, not a scare but we we had some, <laughs> some contemplation to do when the mta said they were going to shut down the l train for two years and so we had a big reckoning about what that would mean for us because it is, you know, a good, solid 15-minute walk to the JMZ, which is, you know, not such a quick shot into No, it's not, not a pleasant Square. I mean, walk You just at all. can't, and it's, you know, the and the walk is, you know. If Boring. It's, it's, there's not a lot going on out there. There's, you know, if the weather's bad, it's just not good. Yeah. So we were thinking, like, what are we going to do, uh, you know, because it's so important to us that people can get here from the city really easily on the train. And, you know, we kind of decided, like, we're going to hold out. We're going to stay strong. Like, this location is so much part of who we are. There were other nonprofits and, and
4: businesses that were like, shutter in the day because the L trade. Yeah, I was like, I mean, wait, people, wait.
2: Businesses closed. Well, know, that's why a Governor Cuomo was
4: criticized.
2: Right, because it, he you know, waited really- so long. They really kind of did this Hail Mary thing at the end. Well, um, no, he just just
4: wanted to make de Blasio look like a loser. Yeah,
2: yeah, exactly. He's like,
4: you didn't even call the most progressive business in subway building, you idiot. (laughs) Well, I just fixed it. But to punish him, to make him look like a loser, a lot of businesses were negatively affected. Yeah, I mean... Doom and gloom.
2: Williamsburg was in this crazy bubble yeah. um but you know property values dropped a lot yeah I I know. know a lot of developers i demanded really a rent that. decrease nice yeah and they gave it to me i mean so i think um that that like you said you can't really underestimate the importance of having that train line nearby and um sort of the relief that we felt but also the sort of devotion to the neighborhood of like no we're going to keep we're going to keep trucking we're going to get through it but two years is a really long time. And you know, with us, we're a nonprofit. That's that's a lot of cars to pay for. That's a and this lot is why, of alternate arrangements.
4: This is why she it can be annoyed with the board of directors. Because we're like, partner with Uber. Where they just drive everyone around for free. There's our idea. We've solved it. And she's like, but well, wait, I have to actually try to make that happen. We're like, ah, the details. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It'll be fine. They'll do it. They'll do it. Free rides for everyone. No, but that was a challenge. But that was my thing, It's just pick everybody up. It's now a $15,000 budget line item to pick old people up or very young people with their kids from the subway, even though that's a $3 cab ride, or to have volunteers driving around. Because, yeah, you can't let that stuff beat you. And then also, hopefully, the station will be around for 100 years. I mean, Roberta might have that staying power. That it certainly looks good that they have the potential to do that. So you don't want two years blip to affect it.
1: This episode is brought to you by Nourish and Flourish, a handcrafted, independent publication taking readers on a journey from the soil to the stars. Nourish and Flourish showcases thought-provoking stories from around the world and stunning photography. Each issue explores emerging trends in food, nutrition, recipes, soil health, technology, regenerative agriculture, travel, and more. Volume one of Nourish and Flourish includes features on the Svalbard Global Seed Bank, the International Symposium on Bread, and ancient Hawaiian aquaculture. Are you interested in eating healthier and learning more about where your food comes from and living a more connected life? Subscribe today at nourishandflourish.site. For $29.99, you'll receive three issues. That's 38% off the retail price. Nourish and Flourish, connecting readers with the people and stories that make a difference in living a more balanced, healthier life. Subscribe today or find a retailer near you at nourishandflourish.site.
2: Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Katie Kiefer, and I'm the host of What Doesn't Kill You here on HRN. Every week, I sit down with journalists, authors, scientists, or activists to identify and explain some of the key issues in our food system. I've done shows on food waste, labor issues, meat production, water, you name it, I cover it. You can find What Doesn't Kill You wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org.
3: Katie, you started to speak to this, but what has HRN's relationship with the neighborhood of Bushwick looked like as the organization has grown?
2: Yeah, and I think, you know, I wasn't here sort of in the early days. um, And so, you know, what I've seen just in the last four years is this, you know, two blocks from the subway to here changing pretty dramatically and like a lot of new businesses going in. Um, You know, we are... We we have sort of a built-in engagement with the clientele of Roberta's, which is, you know, pretty, it's pretty diverse. You know, people are coming in, you know, people who are working construction jobs will come in and eat lunch. And then also, um, you know, big celebrities who are visiting New York will like make this a, a super priority destination. So, you know, there is a lot of kind of built-in interaction with the people coming into to Roberta's. But, you know, we are, we're like literally in a metal box inside of here. And so, you know, it's, it's, it is something where we try to be a little bit more aware of, you know, what's going on in the broader neighborhood outside. And that's why we were so excited to partner with Bushwick Podcast too, because, you know, we're here to talk about food and a lot of people see that as like, oh, that's, that's not for everybody. That's just a certain level of, you know, kind of high elite um, people who have money and leisure to think about food. And we don't see it that way because, you know, I already talked about everybody eats um, and it really does affect all of us so deeply. Um, And so, yeah, we um, we're we're sort of we do try to, like, take our interns on field trips to spots in the neighborhood um, and kind of get out there a little bit more. But it's also very easy to like take the train in, come into this container and go back home and be in you know, sort of the, the this couple blocks of hipster enclave of Bushwick um, and then not have as much awareness of what's going on outside. And now also we do have an office in a brand new building, which is a co-working space, which is also kind of representative of how that neighborhood is changing. There are a lot of these new spaces going in, ton of new businesses. There's a hotel going up, uh, you know, rumors of Netflix opening across the corner. Um, but that also does build in some additional opportunities for us to know, like, what other businesses are happening in this area um what does that change look like but it is harder to be connected to i think the residents who live here all the time or who've been here do for you interview time. them
4: on your europe the local residents we
3: focus exclusively on bushwick
4: no that's... i know but i mean do you get some of the people who've been here for 30 40 years mm-hmm. okay good that is very important because you know they're Not the type of people who usually get interviewed when it comes to trying to figure out, like, trends in the neighborhood, but yet they know more than anyone.
3: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thinking ahead, uh, the neighborhood is changing tremendously. What role do you think about HRN playing moving forward?
4: It depends uh, if there's flooding. Is this a high area, like
2: <laughs> Are we Important question, are we underwater? Uh, assume we're not underwater.
4: Not underwater. And what are you talking about? Like in the year 6,000 or the year... <laughs> uh, Maybe a little uh, more than 2, the year 2,500? 2, Maybe
3: 2,400, 2,300.
4: So wait a second. 2,400. So wait, that would be my great, 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 great grandchildren? What would... How many greats come in a century two
2: three four
4: three or four greats yeah
2: you have kids at 25
4: 35 so eight greats from now what will be the role of hrn well of course they'll be struggling with budgets since they have to cryogenically keep you and me going yeah That's no, keep
2: be, keeping our heads
4: very expensive <laughs> in the freezer is gonna be... important line items yeah,
2: yes so, a lot of liquid nitrogen
4: I might be up there. Like one day, someone will be like, I forgot to charge Patrick's cryogenic. They're like, just hang the head on the wall next Taxidermy. to Katie's. Yeah. Taxidermy style.
2: It really helps people uh, feel at ease when they come into the studio.
4: <laughs> what is the role of HRN? I mean, I don't know. It depends. I, I think they need to get into video and then and, and transition into other things i think you know teams like netflix will see that uh chefs are not the only people who should be captaining your passages through tr- time and space and you know you can also have our hosts take you through and, and you so i think tv radio movies could be made i mean a short documentary could be made i mean so i hope that you just kind of expand. But I don't necessarily think it's in more shows. You don't need 150 shows. No, by by no means. I think you could stay 35 to 50. Is it other stations? I mean, what do you think?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I think, like, you know, kind of to get to the question of how our voices of the neighborhood represented in, in the future, um, I think that is kind of tied in of, like, we have a platform, you know, we've, we've built it up over many years, and um, we have the opportunity to create a voice for people who are otherwise not being featured in other kinds of media. So I think we have a responsibility to make sure that that voice is, is open and available and um, that it does like benefit the local area. And so, you know, making sure that we continue to have space and representation for hyper local voices also um, in kind of supporting like what you're doing and creating a model for community projects on this scale to say, you know, we can create sort of systems for a neighborhood to work together to create something to then reach other neighborhoods. Because it's not just about, you know, people in Bushwick hearing other people in Bushwick, but it's about people around the world hearing from people in Bushwick and then people hearing from other neighborhoods. Um, And just thinking about, you know, issues of gentrification and um, of sort of economic systems change and commercialization are not unique to this place but I think we are probably learning some lessons here or not and we're maybe about to find out some consequences here that could be applied to other places as well
3: and following up on that we've been talking around this but what does HRN sound like Uh, what's an example of content for somebody who is maybe not active in seeking out food media they may not be involved in the food industry what does HRN have for them
4: Well, to be honest with you, I mean, to answer that question, I think that the content would always be the same. I think the format needs to change. The main course tried to be like The View. The main course tried to be like The View so that no one was ever talking for more than 20 seconds. It was truly dinner conversation, which is basically... The format for most media out in the world and I think that all of a sudden the one-hour interview with people especially when I listen to myself is extremely boring to most people I hate to say it so I've actually asked Katie and tried to come up with ways myself of figuring out ways to take the best of you and your show and to package it into 30 second things 10 seconds bits panel discussions TED talks and stuff like that because I think your your show is probably more interesting at Thirty minutes, and then twenty minutes, and then ten minutes, and five minutes. That'll be the most interesting thing of all time. But it needs people to go back and listen, and reinterpret, and pull, and synthesize, and repackage, and send out. And also, it takes producers, which we don't have, uh, you know, as much as we need. And so, it takes a lot of sculpting and building. But I think if we had like the local news half hour, our first foray into that is the Meet and Three which I think they have done a marvelous job with. It's our by far and away our wildly most successful in-house produced news, really. It's a news show.
2: So I think I can maybe summarize and say that the sound of HRN is, is going to vary from show to show, and we kind of have something depending on the kind of mood that you're in. If you are super fascinated by one particular guest or one issue, you can hear an hour-long just completely raw conversation that's going to be super interesting. But that's not always kind of the format that's going to work for for you when you're commuting or when you're, you know, when you're sort of dipping your toe in. So then we have shows like Meet and 3 that are, uh, you know, they're just quick snapshots. They're not meant for somebody who's just, you know, working in the food industry. They're meant for anybody who has, you know, maybe just is beginning to develop an interest in like, what actually does food systems mean and what does it mean to think beyond like what is this bite of food that I'm eating right now? And do I like it or not? Or was it expensive or inexpensive? But to say, how did this get here? How did it come to be? And like, we have a lot of really funny stories and interesting Mm -hmm. news happening. That's just not being covered anywhere else. And so that's a great way to just get like a quick snapshot, but we have everything in between. And then we have shows like the main course, which are like unedited, Kind of like raw banter, but also they move really quickly, and you're going to hear really, really current updates. It's kind of like that, you know, new take on the news that's happening right this second.
4: I mean, I think in the, when we started, we wanted to unpack things. We wanted to talk about your grandmother that taught you, and then where did you go to culinary school? And we did that for 10 years. And we have a hall of fame with almost 400 people, which is the best 1% of that group. We've done 13,000 podcasts. So, I mean, that's been a very successful thing. And now I think that unpacking lasts for 10 years, and then packing and, and repackaging is in the next 20 and I would love to have a high powered ex NBC morning show news producer being like the podcast uh, Brooklyn uh, Bushwick podcast had two good points That's it. The whole hour show. But those two points are great. And we're going to use it when we package it with the best of the main course and the best of the meet and three. And then we're going to get into more interesting ways where I think other media sources will be like, they so perfectly delivered me the news, even like Entertainment Tonight, about what these three movie stars or athletes eat and why food is so important to them. And we don't even have to edit it, just play it, Mm -hmm. you know? And when we're getting into that role and and also getting people to say, what is their essence? What are the best points that they've made about themselves and their work and observations they've made? The really edited, super edited. They've said it 5 billion times to everyone from who they met in the elevator, to their parents, to their husbands and wives, to their friends. So many times that they're ready to give us their best eight minutes three minutes and then we're getting the best of everybody and we're accumulating all those life lessons from all these food people because this is the best uh, most powerful food archive ever created in the world the hrn archives is the most powerful there's nothing that's even close so in terms of you know sheer volume and depth and all that so it's a responsibility for us to package 13,000 individuals. I mean it's probably 26,000, 50,000 people who have been through this studio. How do we most teach lessons about who we are now for the future and for, you know, us now to learn and live with?
2: Yeah. And I think also we have a responsibility like you said to preserve that archive because that too that's what keeps us from being shallow because my, my pet peeve about most coverage of any important issue related to food in other news media um, you know it's sort of like the mainstream news is that you know everything gets distilled into 12 seconds and you know like this is we were talking about nutrition research yesterday Um, it's very very nuanced and you can't just you know distill an entire issue into like a a jazzy news bite necessarily so we kind of have that super in-depth coverage And then we say, actually, like, here's the really important takeaway, and here's what you need to know, and here's how to get a background in understanding these issues. Um, But we're not just here to make it glossy. We're here to say, this is what's really important. Um, And we have, like, the whole spread of, like, here's the quick snapshot, and then here's everything to back that up.
3: We have a few minutes left here. Uh, Something I wanted to touch on. We mentioned before, this is actually HRN's 10-year anniversary. Mm -hmm. What are you doing to celebrate?
2: dude, we're having a big party.
4: November 11th, right? You have a bunch of people that are not listed here, but uh, should be. They have, um, <laughs> I've got the printout. Cesare Cazella, one of the great salumi makers, and Anne Saxoby, one of the great cheesemongers, are going to man and woman a major island of cheese and charcuterie in the middle of the Botanic Gardens, and they're going to be surrounded by some of the world's greatest chefs that are going to be doing their most really creative even for a creative tasting the most creative of the creative yeah. uh they're going to be all around them in the beautiful main room of the botanic gardens so, uh ballroom
2: so we have it's this it's a taste around event you come. It's uh, first. I'm going to say the URL in case anybody wants to like check this up while we're uh, while we're chatting about it. HeritageRadioNetwork.org/gala. This is going to be our third year throwing this party, but it's super significant because it is the 10th anniversary. And like Patrick said, we have these world class chefs. We've got Momofuku Nishi coming in. We have chefs coming from out of town. We have Marjorie Meek Bradley coming from Saint Anselm in DC. We have Todd Richards coming from Atlanta. We've got hometown heroes um, from Union Square Hospitality Group Not Group
4: hometown, Group. hometown barbecue. Not. Just hometown, hometown heroes he doesn't got, buy uh,
2: this is really I'm excited I'm having dinner at Union Square Cafe tonight so I'm super oh. stoked that um, Daily Provisions is doing a collaboration um, this year with Marta which is going to be super cool mm-hmm. um, we've got uh, our neighbors at Winson Bakery coming up We've got an incredible soba noodle demonstration by shuichi kotani who does this like really cool hands-on noodle making thing it's so beautiful we have um carving HRN station host carving station uh from Marlowe and daughters we have our host alum hrn's own dj cherish the love is going to be making awesome music for us mama Fuko Nishi's uh, making uh, the porchetta a whole, did you say um, that i did not say that it's it gets better and better i'm getting really hungry um, we've also got Roberta's kind of bread. the history of HRN being represented. So my predecessor, Aaron Fairbanks, who is executive director for five, six years here, is coming. Jack Inslee, our alumni executive producer, is coming back to host the event with us. So it's sort of like a reunion of all this family, plus the really important thing that we've done in the 10th anniversary, um, which was to create a Hall of Fame. So like Patrick said, we've got these 13,000 episodes in the archive. Um, all of these voices who've been hugely important in sort of determining the voice of who we are and who people should be paying attention to in food media and then looking at... Um, you the know, best of the best. Who, who are these top influential people? Some of them are famous, some of them are not. But for, for us to kind of bring this Hall of Fame together and say... You know, these are the voices that everybody should be aware of and make it really easy to find all the places that they've appeared across our archive. Um, and then to bring them together into this one room is just uh, all 500 the Hall of Famers are going to be there. That's a guarantee. <laughs> We've got from about Katie. 270. Uh, I can't promise every single single last one will be in attendance, but they all will be there in spirit. And We're December gonna have an is the awesome group photo.
4: The obituaries, the people who are passed uh, but have still been on our station. Yeah, we'll have an So That's going to be very section, important um, group
2: because we do, we have had also some really sad losses here. Mm-hmm.
4: Dorothy um, Ken Hamilton. That we want to recognize uh, Dorothy Ken Hamilton. I mean, that was so tragic. Uh, the the pastry lady from Babo. I mean, you know, was like one of my you know all time favorites. Everybody's favorite. And yeah, this is their archive. This is where their cousins and their grandkids can come and hear them. I mean, it is an extremely important archive. Uh, have you backed it up? Yes. Okay.
2: All the time. <laughs> <laughs> that's. Uh, we'll just give a shout out to say thank you to Amazon Web Services
4: for I still,
2: their generous support.
4: I still ask Katie once a year. I'm like download it, put it in your pocket or in a NASDAQ or maybe it's so big now you need a little rollaway bag and keep it in your house because God forbid someone messes with the cloud. Yeah. You know, we're like, it didn't affect us because Katie has a version as of three weeks ago. No, we do have the off-site drive
2: storage too. Good. Yeah. It's important. What is that,
4: Manhattan mini storage? I'm
2: not telling where it is. <laughs> Are you kidding me?
4: <laughs> well, thanks for um, having had but us yeah, on. Yeah, thank
2: you, Luke. Um, so, I hope that um, anybody who's listening will be able to join us at the Brooklyn Botanic Garden on November 11th. It's going to be very, very spectacular in the food and drink experience. But also, this is the kind of gathering that you really, I, I'm I'm just going to not be humble at all and say you cannot find this anywhere else. This has never happened before and will never happen again. You need to come on November 11th to really experience kind of the magnitude of force that's going to be in this room.
4: Is it true they're going to, what do you say when you take someone out? Uh... Of the grave what is that called
2: Uh, zombies
4: no and you unearth them exhuming
2: oh exhume exhum are you
4: going to exhume is it true julia child is going to be there
2: i'm working on it
4: oh that would be there's a witch
2: store over on uh (laughs) (laughs) uh, across the corner here and so um i've been hitting them up to see if i can bring julia back
4: there's also going to be a fun photography thing i don't know what it is it's like you take your picture with next to a cutout cardboard of alice waters or next to a kitchen or some james beard skin something we got to try to recreate a photo booth opportunity so that we have a chance of going viral so anyway it's going to be super interesting to see what we choose you have to come
2: come find out
3: the final thing i would say for anybody in bushwick Uh, individuals, groups, businesses who might be interested in working with HRN? Is there anything you would share?
2: Yeah, um, come talk to us. We're always here. Uh, We do a lot of kind of just like having pizza people in the neighborhood to talk about just how we might be able to help each other. You know, I think there's so many ways they don't cost any money and we want to be connected. So you can always reach out. You can email us at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Don't tell anybody, but I check that email. So um, you should just hit us up. Come say hi, even if there's not like a particular agenda in mind. Um, You know, we never know what we might be able to do in the future together.
3: We've got all that info and more in the show notes for this week's episode. We'd like to extend our sincere gratitude to Katie and Patrick for sharing more about HRN's history and its work here in the community. We'd, of course, also like to thank you for joining us this week. We'll be back with another story you won't want to miss, but in the meantime, we'd love to know what you're interested in hearing and how we can do better. Get in touch by emailing us at hello at hearbushwick.com or by DMing us on our Instagram at bushwickpodcast. We can't wait to hear from you, and we'll see you soon.